Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is your Maxis Tyres pre-race show for round six of the Downhill World Cup in Snowshoe USA. Maxis have an insane history with racing and are the first brand that comes to mind when you think about performance tyres. So it's no surprise then that Maxis have won more than any other brand in the history of World Cup Downhill and EWS. Whatever your needs, Maxis has got you covered with a wide range of tread patterns, casing and compound options. I spent most of the year on the Asagai 2.5 Max Grip in their brand new Exo Plus casing up front, combined with a DHR Double Down Max Terra on the back. It's a well-proven combo that for me gives you insane grip in the turns, but provides awesome braking traction so you can scrub off that speed when you need to. Maxis are giving away some awesome merch bundles throughout the season. If you want to get your hands on one, then you just need to share this podcast episode on your Instagram and tag me at Downtime Podcast and at Maxis Bike, and we'll choose a lucky winner. You can check out the entire range of Maxis tyres over at maxis.com and find the tyres at your local Maxis dealer. You can also give them a follow on Instagram where they're at Maxis Bike. All right, it's time to chat to Coach the Stars, Chris Kilmurray, to find out what we have in store for us this weekend in Snowshoe. Chris Kilmurray, welcome back. Uh, stuck in an airport hotel somewhere in the UK, waiting to fly over to Snowshoe. How's life? Living my best life on uh, flight number seven of the day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only, going, only going for flight number three, so it's not too bad. Can't complain too much. Good stuff. Hopefully that one uh, goes on time. But let's um, let's briefly touch in on Andorra, which feels like forever ago. It was only like a week ago, but um, I guess some interesting goings on there. Uh, some some maybe psychological wins for a couple of riders, both Loris Vergier and Valley Hole riders that have kind of struggled a little bit to to maybe deliver against the promises this season, um, but both did it in uh, in fine style out there in andorra give us give us your thoughts on, on some of those results yeah it was a, it was a crazy race it was um intense i think is that if you want to try and describe it in a single word it was definitely intense and the results were i think yeah like everyone saw with, with jackson having the fastest time of the day jackson goldstone and um his his arch nemesis jordan williams having the the second the third fastest time of the day i think it was um, and then the elites kind of battling it out, and obviously the mid kind of mid pack qualifiers not really making a dent on the early starters times, and then all of a sudden the the truly world class guys near the end just start to elevate and elevate until we got Lars who put down what was essentially you know a, a perfect run for that time of the day. He was only one second off Jackson's time, who had the fastest time of the day. I think he was one point four seconds off what would have been the perfect lap if he had mm-hmm. of had you know if if you accumulated all the, the best sectors so yeah the, the racing was i don't know i don't know what way to describe it i think everyone you know when when they walk the track was like oh yeah one line and it's it's going to be super fast it's going to be super tight and then in the end actually there was some pretty big margins pretty big margins in in different lines and different sectors and as a result the racing in all the categories was pretty pretty intense just in, yeah. uh, intense there you go can't say it enough yeah yeah, yeah. you said you watched uh jackson goldson's head cam compared it to um angel suarez's head cam two kind of very different times of the day um what are your thoughts on how the track had evolved but from looking at those two cameras um i suppose well i was there obviously up and down the track um morning practice junior racing you know late morning practice elite racing the whole lot so i saw it firsthand i saw the degradation and the changes firsthand but if you just talk about comparing the helmet cams like anyone who's listening can go and watch 
both of them and use a bit of simple software to compare both of them. Um, and there was pluses and minuses. Like at certain points, the light, the dappled light that Jackson had early in the morning made, made certain sections worse potentially, not better. But obviously other sections, um, the light provided really, really good contrast. So you could clearly see you came in and like, oh, there's two defined lines. I'm on the inside line. I've been on the inside all, all week. I'm going to hit it as fast as possible. Whereas for when you watch Angel's head cam back, the light is so bright in spots that it's just everything's the one shade. And on top of that, the the defined lines weren't there because someone blew them up. Someone made <laughs> yeah. a mistake, absolutely decimated a line. So you can, they, you can clearly see the degradation. And you can also see just how good Jackson's run was. Because no matter how much... The bottom line is, yes, the track was considerably better in the morning for the juniors. However, Jackson won every sector in his category, executed what would be a top 10, potentially top five run, I would say, mm-hmm. in the elite men's, which is phenomenal for a, for a second-year junior. Um, and if you watch, if you compare the helmet camp side by side and look at the details, you can clearly see a couple of spots where he's just pretty much better than everyone else. Yeah, Just simple, yeah. simple line choice, simple execution of simple lines, carrying speed like making the most of his his pretty small size uh, yeah just a phenomenal phenomenal performance all around and i think junior men and junior women's categories this year are maybe the most interesting they've ever been yeah definitely well and phoebe put a fair margin into gracie hemstreet and junior women's right a rider that you you support on the fmd yeah phoebe smashed it yeah phoebe put in um kind of got caught out the week before in lenser hiders so having those back-to-back races is, is really nice because you can just kind of note down a couple of simple things you didn't do well or you know how how and why you didn't win or didn't didn't execute how you wanted the, the week before and you can kind of get to work on those points straight away the week after so yeah she just put that she put down a phenomenal run didn't win every sector which was kind of a, a micro goal i think in her head and um, got beaten in sector three by jenna hastings but um by and large phenomenal run and obviously found a chunk of time that the other girls in her category didn't find in the last sector so in the end she had a six second margin at the at the finish line so yeah no no complaints i think it's it it was a win for phoebe that wasn't just a stab in the dark it was a win that was constructed all week long uh-huh. you know track run by run sector and section by section so yeah, i think that that's why it was it was a pretty sweet one and she was she was really happy with it the work works yeah, the work works as I always like to yeah. waffle on. <laughs> <laughs> and were you, were you in any way surprised to see Aaron going in the mix there? That I think I think some no. people were, but it's a Bottom course line, that, no. <laughs> yeah, that had his name written all over it. And yeah, he's been making steady, slow, but sensible progress back. He hasn't wanted to rush anything. Like it's, it's quite impressive actually to see that commitment to coming back to the top spots. And good to see him frustrated with the fourth. Yeah, totally. Well, I think Aaron's always frustrated in, in no matter what, it seems. I don't know. You probably need to ask him like how many runs he's actually been happy with, but he, uh-huh. he's his own ultimate critic. Hence why he has 20 world cup wins. Cause I think you need that critical eye to, to dig into your performances, to, to really understand how they could have been better, why they weren't up to scratch, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you and I discussed this in the podcast, I don't know when, a few episodes ago, a few years ago, mm-hmm. and people at, at certain points were just writing Aaron off. Just like, Oh, Aaron's done. That's it. And I th- I'm pretty sure you and I spoke about it. And I, I said, you know, that, the bottom line is you don't get 20 World Cup wins for nothing. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, I, I, would, I wouldn't expect anything else so that for out of Aaron other than you know coming back to the top. And obviously, when we walk that track, um, kind of like Big Bear, Snow Summit, Big Bear, gave instant Southern California high mountain kind of uh, high mountain v- feels and vibes. So, yeah, the spot to do it. And hopefully, well, he's got a, he's got a, a nice role to, to play with now because he's got two tracks he loves. 
two tracks he loves uh, in Snowshoe and Montsinan, uh, two tracks that, well, you can say suit him, but definitely suit his style or allow him to, to be direct and carry good speed through the, the limited corners that there is. Um, so, I, yeah, I can only expect good things out of Aaron. But as we've seen for his, you know, the most recent period of his career, racing is not easy, no matter who you are. So, yeah, let's see. Yeah, interesting stuff. And then Valley Hole, like we've said, she's kind of had a rough season, lots of crashing, but she's kind of kept the pace up and she's she's finally found that run. She also went well in Snowshoe last year and actually turned around the overall there. Um, do, do you think that makes her more dangerous coming in? Like she's already a dangerous rider, but will that, will that win kind of help her feel, I don't know, better about her performance? Um. Yeah, I, I definitely look. It's it's going to give her a little bit of confidence to carry with her. That yes, I can execute a finals run. I can do a, a run on the clock without crashing, which is kind of what she's been searching for. Um, I don't know if Valley's figured out the why's in the house. Most certainly the why behind you know um, why they're running in Andorra was as good as it was. Why it won the race. Why it meant I didn't crash. All those sorts of things. They're the questions you need to ask if you're trying to consistently put together you know race winning runs. Uh, just as we spoke about with Aaron. That's 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 why Aaron asks a lot of himself and questions himself and you know nitpicks his runs. So that's kind of where probably the direction Valley is is going in and needs to go in. Um, but yeah, the the good memories from winning the overall and winning both races last year in Snowshoe will definitely. It wasn't that long ago. It was like nine months ago or whatever it was. So it's not actually that long ago. And obviously coming off the back of a win, uh, going to a track you've previously won on all all of the. All of the chakras are lining up nicely, <laughs> so just Definitely. it's just a, a matter of if you channel that uh, as a, as a positive, or if you channel that as somewhat of a you know, or if it creates a little bit of pressure, even though you don't want it to create pressure. Hence, yet again, why racing is as, as amazing as it is, and why we all love it, and why we're here doing a pre-show and a post-show and everything else, because the outcome is never certain. You know, no matter how many things you have to try and predict the outcome, you're never going to predict it. So, yeah, well, and snowshoe is isn't, isn't a good place, but. Like you, yeah, like you're about to say, a snowshoe always shows us different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, snowshoe showed us uh, a few surprises last year. I think with, um, well, I mean, Tebow lost the overall there. Loris kind of lost the overall there. Miriam lost the overall there. Riders that were there but maybe not expecting ended up taking it. And you know, we saw the surprise from Valley when she she took a while to realise that she'd won the overall. And and Loic, you know, we never really thought from the start of the season he had that he could turn it around yeah, what, crazy. what is it about snowshoe give us some i don't know like on, reese, on the track. reese won his reese won his first world cup there reese wilson yeah um who i've coached for quite a few years now and um maybe a track that no one expected him to win on everyone expected maybe the first one to come on something steep and super tech and stuff uh, he was on route to you know potentially winning the second race as well before he snapped his chain device and bent his chain ring basically and losing the chain Thibaut de Prella crashed pretty much every run yeah. while having a comfortable lead in the overall. He definitely crashed every run under the clock. Loris Vergier imploded for absolutely no reason, like you said. Uh, Loic somehow won the overall. Uh, I can't remember. There was an outrageous number of crashes. Miriam threw away in a, in a silly corner. 2019, Danny Hart upset the apple cart and Bruni lost the overall. So, yeah, yeah I don't know what happens to Snowshoe. Maybe it's those big radio <laughs> towers. I can't remember Green Bank. I think it's called. It's Green Bank. It's, it's, it's the, yeah. So basically, Snowshoe has like a really state-of-the-art, custom-made internet system to actually get broadband and uh, and Wi-Fi in, in Snowshoe Village because otherwise, in the, in the area, it's basically banned because it interferes with the radio towers. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much let's 
let's just cut to the chase. It's the radio towers that cause everyone's brain to, <laughs> to fry. <laughs> to yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think we've had so few races there. You know, we've had two visits, three races, that actually it's probably the pattern we're seeing isn't actually a pattern. It's just randomness. It yeah, just yeah, happens yeah. to be, you know what I mean? It just happens to be that, wow, we've had all these crazy stories, these crazy outcomes, these crazy scenarios and, and interesting race run mishaps. Um, but in reality, yeah, it's just just mountain bike racing. It's, it's World Cup racing. Anything can happen. So I'm looking forward to this coming week. Yeah. Well, talk us through the track because, like you said, it's not got a huge amount of gradient in there, but there's a, definitely a lot of rocks thrown in the mix um, without a huge amount of gradient to help riders carry speed mm. or get back up to speed if they make a mistake. Just give us some thoughts on the track from your perspective. It's <clears throat> it's really, really interesting because it's, it's one of the – it's relatively long. Uh, I can't don't know the stats off the top of my head. I think it's 1.9 kilometers. It drops about 410 meters, 400 to 420 meters, that neck of the woods. So it's kind of in the ballpark of your normal World Cup track. But it is just a touch flatter than most of them. And in spots, a touch narrower than a lot of the, the World Cup tracks we race. Um, in certain spots, it's, it's basically single line, proper single track at the top. So it depends how they tape it. Uh, and as a result, the average speed isn't huge. It's not Maribor, you know, 41 kilometers an hour for the men. It's, it's kind of closer to 36 and a half, 38 kilometers an hour, that region for, for the, the fastest elite male. Um, but the speed doesn't change. So uh-huh. as it's not steep, you don't get super fast but you don't actually slow down very often. There's no super heavy breaking points with the exception of that one really, really steep chute underneath the lift if they use it. Um, the second race last year, they didn't use that chute. It redirected to rider's right, went back into the woods quite early. And as a result of that, the, the braking was basically just occasional. It's really, really interesting. So it's quite different to some of the steeper tracks. It's quite different to what Leger is going to be. It's quite different to what Mont saint going to be. We're going to have huge braking bumps and big holes. So yeah, the track basically starts on the side of a road at the top of the hill, the village is on top of a hill, um, pretty narrow. So you've got sunrise and sunset either side of you. It's quite nice, but there's not a whole pile else going on there. And the track just kind of meanders its way down to um, a chairlift at the bottom on the north side, I think it is, north side of the hill, okay. northeast side of the hill. So it doesn't get a whole pile of sun um, if you race early or late in the year. Um, and it's narrow, and then it goes wide and then there's some awkward jumps and there's some strange compressions and there's a lot of slick roots and slick rocks and slick dirt if it rains but up to now we've not really had a wet race so fingers crossed it's forecast for thunder <laughs> this week and then uh, as you do that big rock transfer jump uh, rumors this year is that we've got a fresh wood section just after that so brand okay. new loamy one which is good yeah. because that section after that was pretty baked um super one line because everyone knew where they were going and then it connected up with some compressions into some man-made berms and crossed a fire road and then brought you into the, the beginnings of the rocks, which is what Snowshoe's famous for. Um, so that man-made kind of section that we're hopefully going to avoid now and have some loam was actually probably what made it really, really physical because you <clears throat> pumped and pushed through all these compressions and all these little awkward corners, try to carry as much exospeed or generate a bit of exospeed if necessary. And then you pushed through all these hard berms and got early on the pedals as soon as you could in any opportunity. So actually it made what, is essentially not particularly physical track, really, really physical, because mid-run, you just emptied the tank to you okay. know, keep a little bit extra speed. So I think we're going to go into the loam at that section, and then after that, we don't know what way they're going to tape it, but my hunch will be that we'll go back underneath the lift, that famous steep section, because it's got that iconic rock drop-off into the steep section, and then from that point onwards, it's kind of everyone's image of snowshoe, those janky square-edge rocks that are pretty flat. So I think a lot of riders have figured it out now, but really, you know, carrying speed like working the bike forward and 
backwards, you know, fore and aft early on when you don't have much speed uh, coming out of corners and then just letting it absolutely truck after that. So we saw last year, you know, the, the high pivot trek sessions and commensals and everything else did, did pretty well there. So maybe, maybe there is a, a pattern there. It's not riders, yeah. it's bikes. <laughs> Any key to bike set up for this place then? Because maybe, again, like there's two different styles of bike that you'd want on the track, but that rock section is pretty critical. Yeah, I think support is what you need. Um, there's a couple of G-outs and compressions, like I said. There's going to be a few berms. Um, anything that doesn't have a whole pile of you know, clear bike setup needs is is pretty basic, kind of smooth or you know, slightly bumpy bike park-esque, kind of, kind of natural trails that have been turned into bike park just over time. Uh-huh. So really, you know, uh, good tires and good wheels make more of a difference there than, than suspension. Um, and then support afterwards. You need support so your bike just trucks over the rocks. You need support for the compressions and the G-outs. So some riders last year, I remember, did go up, you know, went up a spring rip, uh, in the rear especially, increased a little bit of low-speed compression, potentially front and rear, and just let the bike plow. That was it, really. But I think the stiffness of, of the top elite male especially, and even some of the elite women now, uh, the stiffness of their setups, uh, just to deal with World Cup speeds, or not maybe not stiffness, but the, the support, provided throughout the travel by their by their normal setups will probably get them a lot of the way to where they need to be here uh, touch flatter so just finding doing a couple of adjustments maybe with bar height maybe a ride height overall just to find that balance front and rear and everyone will just press send and obviously a single race this week um, not like last year where we had a double header uh, so practice is our normal starts you know track walk Wednesday start practice Thursday race Saturday so I think everyone will just kind of Think beforehand, fettle a little bit, change a couple of things before practice, get stuck in, and before you know it, people will forget about the bike and just worry about worry about putting the brain in the bucket for Saturday, I think. <laughs> and people messing around much with kind of stiffness, flexibility type stuff, like spoke tensions and things, trying to let the bike mm. move around a little bit to get through those rocks? Yeah, I remember listening to the Commensal Muckoff bikes last year in Snowshoe, and that was when that, that bike, the V5, was a, was a full kind of prototype. Um, and they're still on a semi kind of prototype with flexible, you know, arches and bridges and stuff to, to tune stiffness. But I remember their bikes last year, the the wheels sounded particularly loose. Uh-huh. So there was something resonating from somewhere. But yeah, definitely, there's a lot of chat about spoke tension. And some riders will probably like the 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 directness and the 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 feeling of a slightly stiffer setup. To, to, to track where they want it and others will want to go a little bit softer to let it just be a bit more malleable over the rocks and, and not be so harsh and fatiguing so yeah I, I don't know what people will do but most certainly there is no shortage of spoke tension um, insert thicknesses sizes put the insert in take the insert out that sort of thing I think everyone's got their got their own system and there's there's a lot of combos on the go and I think if you start adding you're better at maths than I am but if you start adding <laughs> spoke tension to tire casing suspension setup uh, insert size insert type uh, all of those things you get some big combinations so i think you'll have to probably have your the better teams the more established um, mechanic and rider combos who test a lot um, will probably have a list of three or four things that they want to try already maybe a couple more they'll be like look this is what we know will work in this type type of track this is what has worked in snowshoe in the past this is what i maybe like this season so let's try these three things on the first three runs and make a call pretty soon, you know. Yeah, it's going to say it benefits the the teams that have the budgets to test a lot in the off season, I guess. So they've got yeah, the I th- I think, of things. Yeah, maybe the teams that that 
keep a lot of notes and create a matrix or just even simply just note down that tested here in San Romolo, did this, felt this, liked this, hated this. You know, it, it can be quite simple, um, but I think it's just having that info um, available to hand, backed up um, with a little bit of experience and knowledge to go with it and a bit of rationale as to why it worked in, you know, testing venue A or B. Mm-hmm. And then you can deploy those those kind of choices in Snowshoe and see what you think. Yeah. You mentioned San Romolo. Do you think that's a good parallel to draw for teams? Like if people were looking for somewhere to replicate some of the demands of that snowshoe rock section? Yeah, we tested. So with FMD, we did a full week in the south of France. So did three days San Remo, San Romolo. And the upper track in San Romolo has, a, has quite a few snowshoe features. Uh-huh. Um, similar speeds in spots, square edge hits, slightly more gradient in, in some spots, but yeah, it has a lot of similarities. So it's definitely a, a spot that pretty much every World Cup downhiller that you can name off the top of your head has been to more than yeah. once. Um, a lot of bikes you're buying have been tested there and potentially only there. A lot of other products you're buying have been tested there and maybe only there. Um, so yeah, definitely a spot that's that's useful um, globally for testing, but definitely has some big parallels to snowshoe. Yeah. Yeah, interesting stuff. And it's a it's another venue where the logistics are not quite normal, right? The pits are at the the top of the hill in. Snowshoe. Yeah, like like the old Andorra track, pits are at the top of the hill, which actually um, has a lot of benefits. Um, so the pits are actually a little bit far away, from, a little bit downhill from the start gate, which means you have to kind of get a shuttle or use your mechanic to scooter you or drive you up and down to the start. Mm-hmm. Um, but by and large, it works out quite nice. The pits are, you know, in North American pits, not everyone has a big truck and, and, and a big setup. So a lot of kind of uh, easy ups and rented tents and that sort of thing. Uh, but by and large, you know, views are beautiful. Get to see the sunrise in the morning. Um, get to see the sunset, I think, actually more so. Um, Stark gets up the hill from you, but not super far away. A lot of people's accommodation is very close. Um, or you ride past the start or past the pits to get to your accommodation. Uh, the lift is relatively quick. It's not the newest, but it's relatively quick. As numbers are not as high as we have at European races in terms of just entries. You know, European races, we've had up to 220 or 240 entries total the last mm-hmm. few races, which is a lot. Uh, it's a lot of, you know, just demand on the infrastructure, no matter how good your lift system is. Whereas here, we, we'll probably only have about 150 riders, maybe less total. So by and large, it works out It works out super nice, I think. And when we have these Starkid uh, pits at the top, Starkid at the top type thing, um people seem to really yeah the the vibes as as the kids say these days are are actually quite good everyone's kind of into one spot and there's a lot of just chit chat between runs and people wait at the top of the hill and at the bottom of the hill and it seems to work out quite nice yeah i guess anything's gonna seem good compared to andorra right the logistics there were were pretty challenging with the pits being what two miles away from the top of the lift to get to the other track and yeah, I think it was and all sorts. 1.9 kilometers of uphill pedaling from <laughs> the 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 bottom of the road up to the finish line to get mm-hmm. back up to the pits and probably yeah three or four kilometers total to get to and from so i, I did a lot of pedaling <laughs> got a lot yeah, of free that. fitness in andorra last week <laughs> yeah, there you go. Much for me. i spent the majority of the day on the hill so it wasn't too bad uh, but yeah, logistically, it was a nightmare. This will be considerably better, even though the getting to snowshoe is a bit of a logistic headache. And once yeah. you're there, once you're there, you have to have all your supplies with you or leave and drive down to a town called Elkin, which is about an hour, an hour and a bit away. So, uh-huh. yeah. And one thing that I guess is a bit unique uh, to this particular weekend is that we've got national championships taking place in most countries around the world this weekend. And then riders 
potentially get into snowshoe a little bit later than they would ideally do if they're if they're attending national championships obviously that's a choice for people but a lot of people like to do it any any thoughts on that and uh you know getting ready for another race back to back like that um a risk uh post-covid travel isn't easy it seems losing bags is definitely happening i walked through terminal two at heathrow last night and there was more bags than people lying around that is not a word of a lie i've never seen anything like it so i think racing national champs you know certain nations this is the weekend so the majority european nations at least and a lot of north american and uh, other northern hemisphere nations are doing national champs this weekend this is kind of the the free weekend of the calendar so the uci kind of give the national federations a nudge to run their national championships on this weekend. Some of the national federations kind of pretty much demand it if you want to be selected for world champs. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a bit of pressure for certain riders to, to race your national champs. And the problem is, the big issue is, um, yeah, you might not get snowshoeing time for practice. <laughs> like, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're going to leave Monday, oh, by and large, you're going to get to snowshoe on time for Thursday. But jet lag, travel stresses, lost luggage, all those bits and bobs, it's definitely, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a risk for sure. Yeah, I've seen uh, seen the state of some of the bike boxes arriving on the other side of the planet, pretty pretty beaten up and battered. And then, I mean, Joe Breeden a few years ago, obviously his his intents didn't turn up. I think he ended up racing on a Scott and actually had a pretty incredible result. But we could well see, I guess, some riders struggling for for bikes and kit. It's been happening already this season. I know Jacob Dixon lost his bike and all his luggage and has been borrowing bits and bobs to keep going. So yeah, it's 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 pretty shocking. I think. As the sport progresses, as the new overlords take over next year, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe things will slowly progress in, in terms of professionalism. I know some of the, the teams with bigger budgets have shipped um, bikes, spares, a kit, everything they needed, or the majority of what they needed uh, early last week. So ASAP after after Andorra, mm-hmm. they shipped things out. So potentially, you know, shipping is, is safer than traveling with your stuff. But that's not an option for every team. It's not an option for... Even teams with big budgets, it's not an option for logistic reasons and other reasons. So yeah, I think it's a risk. It's 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 a big risk, and I'm, I'd be extremely concerned about not having your stuff dialed for uh, for snowshoe, and then potentially dealing with the nightmare of waiting for luggage when you should be travelling to Montserrat. Yeah, so, I wonder if we'll yeah. uh, ever see the days of Formula One style kind of plane hired to take everyone's kit across the planet you never know yeah, man. like hire a hire a, a triple a boeing triple seven to to do the job yeah. for you or have your pits and all your stuff on a boat that travels the world waiting for you like f1 does we're yeah. not quite at that level of budget i mean i don't think we ever will be but it's it's definitely a, a big a big part of the reason why certain people within the sport are pushing for more profession, professionalism in terms of, you know, like uh, creating a better tier system of races for people who aren't quite at the level of, you know, getting top 10s or top 20s at World Cup, but, you know, still want to really, really try. Um, so creating a better tier system so we can actually, you know, spread the load, don't have 250 riders at a World Cup. And then, you know, maybe eventually teams can chat nice to each other and charter a plane, but I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, we'll who knows? Eh? But by the time that happens, planes might be might be banned. All these, all these wildfires <laughs> and global warming. <laughs> Could well be. Well, the national and, series only. Electric cars yeah. to and from yeah. the venue, that's it. Well, let's hope not. But we've got, um, I guess, more riders travelling further to this than normal. Like, There's a lot of riders that base themselves in Europe throughout the summer, which kind of makes sense given the calendar as it is at the moment. But riders will be travelling over to the US. Um, obviously, the US teams are used to it, but the, the European-based people maybe not so. Like Jet lag is that? Is it a big issue? Because it's kind of, if you're arriving 
now it's going to be starting to hit pretty hard, I guess, as you're coming into the main chunk of practice. Um, luckily, um, flying west is actually pretty easy. Uh-huh. So that's like, in terms of, of how, you know, the impact jet lag has on, on circadian rhythm and how that affects your performance and stuff, there's definitely going to be, there's immediate impacts on coordination and that sort of thing uh, pretty earlier on, which is, is much due to the, the stress and the environment of airplanes and travel as it is to do with actually changing time zone. And then the knock-on effects of changing time zone, um, actually, when you go west, aren't really that bad. It's because, generally speaking, you're relatively alert uh, in the afternoon because that's morning time in, or that's, you know, late after late afternoon, early evening in your body clock if you've flown from Europe. Um, and you sleep in the evenings because in your body clock, you start to, you know, go to bed at probably, your body starts the, the sleep process about 6 or 7 p.m. snowshoe time. Yeah. So you get a good night's sleep by and large most nights. Um, and the rule of thumb is, you know, a day per time zone. So you're looking at six days needed to really get, if you travel, say, from the UK or from, from mainland Europe, six yeah. to seven days to fully get over jet lag. But if you're if you're pretty fit, you've not had a huge stressful travel, you've done a good job eating on your new time schedule, on your new time zones as quickly as you can and got gotten into the new time zone uh, lifestyle of yeah. breakfast, lunch, and dinner and got a lot of light early in the morning and late in the evening, especially late in the evening when you travel west, um, to help uh, to help slow down that that onset of, of your sleep sleep cycle. Um, then it's actually, it's not too bad. Huh? It's not too bad. It's, it's going east is considerably more challenging. So all the North American racers, all the North American racers um, have, you know, a far harder time coming over to Europe than we do going this way to race, so. Yeah. Does that put everyone in a tricky position for world champs or is, I guess there's enough time really for people to get back across to Europe and settle back into that time zone. No, there's, there's, enough, there's more than enough time. Yeah. More than enough yeah. time to get settled in, to do, to do what you need to do. So yeah, can't really, yeah, can't really, we're, we're, we're in a good spot. We're definitely in a good spot. I think, you know, some people probably the impact of jet lag will affect them a little bit more than others in snowshoe. And that's, that's quite individual, maybe genetic. And other than that, yeah, I think, you know, three days to kind of get over the most of the effects and you're ready for practice. So yeah. it won't be too bad. Yeah, But All there'll right. be someone out there who disagree with me who'll probably uh, <laughs> have vicious insomnia and terrible jet lag symptoms all week long at snowshoes. So I'm sorry if that's you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a bit about uh, injuries. So Benoit Coulange missed the, the finals uh, in Andorra. He had a pretty horrible crash in the in the rock section um any news there? i think he was in hospital with a few bits of stitches and bits and bobs but i think he's traveled to the u.s yeah he's traveled to the u.s um and he said he had a huge hematoma uh on his leg which is still pretty bad so whether he can race or not is up in the air so yeah that's that's it he's going to try his best i think so we, we definitely need him he's, he's a top dog now so it'd be good to have him back you know yeah definitely and then another top dog who i think was in a pretty <laughs> bad state after Andorra was Amory Piron. He had that huge crash where a tree basically stopped him dead. I saw him say he's kind of off his phone, doing everything he can to try and let the body heal as much as possible, but saying he was feeling pretty, pretty bad. Do you, do you know any more about that? Literally, I only know what you've just said. Yeah. Poor guy seems to be in a pretty bad spot physically. Um, those are the, like the, the systemic inflammation, just the, the overall negative impact of clattering the floor that hard or a tree in mm. his case can take quite a while to get over. So I'd expect Amory being Amory, I'd expect him to, to line up for practice and, and try and race next week, whether he'll be at top form is, you know, highly debatable he was one of a handful of guys that went uh, quite a bit slower in his race run than his qualifying run in andorra 
um, last week. He was two and a half percent, two and a half seconds, three three and a bit percent or something off his his qualifying time, which is pretty rare for Amory. So you can see the negative impact that crash was already having. So who knows? Who yeah, knows? it'd be interesting to see if he can uh, can roll out and defend that position that he's got in the overall. He has got a strong position, but. Snowshoes undone these things in the past, so yes, Snowshoe has undone these things in the past. Finn Isles was in second with six hundred and sixty-six points after having missed a race. Yeah, um, you know, sim- not a similar scenario, but you know, similar deficits for Bruni last year at this point in the season. He won the overall, so anything's possible. But Amory's, yeah. Amory's a, a safe bet to to get the job done. A safer bet than a lot of people to get the job done. True, so, true, but yeah. yeah, was Finn's best ever result there last year? I think that was his his. Uh, Best elite podium result. Um, he's, he's bettered that this year, and he's on incredible form. So, yeah, definitely a rider to to watch out for on on North American soil as well. Yeah, really interested to see. You know, obviously he's going to be keen to win Montserrat as well, um, and there'll be basically no stopping him in snowshoe. So whether he'll be able to ride a little bit cleaner than he rode in Andorra and a little bit cleaner than he rode in snowshoe last year, because snowshoe was a a similar kind of race run exuberance going a little mm-hmm. bit too hard a little bit too keen to a little bit too keen to, to push the limits in race run last year caught him out in snowshoe in race two especially um and similar in andorra you know and somehow still managed to get an amazing result in andorra even though that sector three was was a bit of a mess <laughs> yeah. um so yeah he's he could be your 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 favorite for the win potentially could definitely be the favorite for the win yeah yeah really, and that and new any, bike seems to be working for him so it definitely does yeah and any updates on our our riders that have been suffering with sort of concussion-based issues, so Reese, Tani, Kayla. So Reese has got his checkup scan coming up in the next couple of days to hopefully yeah, so allow him back. Reese is uh, starting back, just a little bit of gentle training, just to get into a bit of the rhythm of training and just generally start to feel a little bit more like an athlete again. Mm-hmm. So just slowly, slowly, step by step. You know, uh, low intensity aerobic exercise, a little bit of gym work. Um, Tani is definitely feeling a lot better, and she's got more tests and checks coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, so we'll we'll know a bit more then about you know how, when she's going to start training again and what her what her kind of medium to long term plans are. Um, and who's the other one you asked about? Cade. Ah, Cade. Poor Cade. Yeah, Cade's got a checkup. Right? He's got a checkup on uh, on Monday. Two week checkup uh-huh. post post head hit on Monday. So he'll find out more then as well. Okay. So really, it is just a simple case of yeah, wait and see, wait yeah. and see, and and, and be be cautious because there's always plenty more races. Definitely. Yeah. Good to see yeah. these riders looking after themselves and being looked after so yeah, yeah totally. definitely definitely a positive nice one well it's been uh, it's been interesting catching up i hope your travel goes safe and that all your bags and kit arrive on the other side of the planet ready for uh, a couple of weeks of racing yeah and, I've, um, I've spread out socks underwear and toiletries between three different bits of luggage so we should be all right good you've got a ch- <laughs> you've got a chance of having at least I got a system yeah i got a chance of having at least one pair of clean underwear for a month so yeah <laughs> <laughs> even the dream all right man well safe travels and uh, we'll yeah. catch you on the other side yeah catch you uh, for months and in a week or so nice one all right cheers chris thank you all right that's it for this episode with chris i really hope you've enyoyed it Don't forget to watch the race over on Red Bull TV this weekend. A huge thank you to Maxis for supporting the season. Maxis have incredible tyres for you no matter how or where you ride. So head over to Maxis.com or visit your local Maxis dealer and check them out. I'm currently running the DHR Max Terra in the back and the Astagai Max Grip with their brand new XO Plus casing up front and it's a combo that's working really well for me. So why not check them out for yourself? Here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. 
downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you don't miss an episode forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch and forward slash ep if you'd like a copy of our lovely print project downtime ep as always spread the word and make sure as many people as possible are listening that's it for today until next time get out and ride